It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook. And alongside us this week, the European football expert, Kevin Hatchard, which is good news because uh, Germany is the centre of all the big transfer sagas at this moment in time. Can Timo put a dire spell in the Premier League behind him? Here's what's coming up. It's not great for Arsenal, having lost back-to-back games in the Premier League, losing at home to a Liverpool side without Mo Salah, I think is a really poor look on Mikel Arteta. And it feels like the season is starting to unravel a lot earlier than it did last year. So I wouldn't write them off just yet. I think they've done ever so well in the Champions League. And I think that's been very impressive. But they need to turn it around quickly because otherwise a young squad is going to be very negatively affected, I think. Well, it's quite a nice headache to have if, if you're Pep Guardiola and you're competing on multiple fronts in the second half of the season. Uh, but you're right, when De Bruyne was fit as they were going for the treble last season, Foden quite often was the odd man out. But the truth is, is that they will scrap the replays. That will happen. It will probably happen in 2026 um, when all of the new deals are signed. Um, I think they'll keep them for a couple of years. But it, you know, eventually the pressure will grow on the calendar to the point where they do remove them. I think there's a feeling that Leipzig don't count on him. They see him as somebody they could loan out, build up his value. Maybe if he comes back in good shape, they could use him. But at the moment, he's nowhere near being first name on the team sheet. Hello and welcome, Kevin Hatchard. You OK? I'm very well, thank you. Well rested and raring to go. Oh, good. I'm pleased to hear it because, of course, in Germany... You've all been sleeping on the job for a couple of weeks, haven't you? While we've been sort of hoiking ourselves around the country, uh, doing 150 games, you've you've been just you know, sitting in the in the Alps, supping on a bit of Bavarian beer uh, and uh, uh, smashing out a few uh, schnitzels. Uh, and chasing a bit of winter sun as well. Nice little trip to Egypt, very rare. So yeah, it's been, uh, <laughs> wow. it's been a wonderful Lovely. winter break for me. I very much enjoyed it. Did you stay indoors? Uh, yeah, well, you would never be able to tell that I've gone anywhere. You could put me on the surface of the sun uh, for four weeks straight and I wouldn't tan. So, yes, this this burns, but it does not tan. Uh, well, we're delighted that you're so well rested. Crook had a day off uh, this week, you know, because it was the FA Cup weekend. So Sunday was just, just an anathema to him. He was in, in the pub, obviously. Um, good to see you, Crook. Uh, all well? Yeah, very well. I did do games on uh, Friday night and Saturday, so I did my did my FA Cup shift. And how was Brentford Wolves? Because you had a player sent off after about twenty five seconds, didn't you? Yeah, um, 
it made it difficult, obviously, for Wolves, but I think it probably tells you where Brentford are at this moment in time, that they played 80 minutes against 10 men and couldn't win the game. They looked devoid of confidence. Thomas Frank said to me afterwards, we could have done with a little bit of Ivan Tony magic. Obviously, he's come out in an interview with our colleague Darren Lewis and, and suggested that he will be at Brentford for at least the rest of the season. And uh, I think they need him. And then I was at Watford-Chesterfield on Saturday, which was a proper FA Cup third-round tie. I think the National League leaders really unlucky not to at least come away with a replay. Yes, I thought they did very, very well. Ivan Tony staying at Brentford till the end of the season. Where have you heard that before? <laughs> Might have been on Premier League All Access. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, let's get to the weekend's action. Uh, now starting at the Emirates Stadium. It. He's in. He's round Allison. Nelson the angle tight. Oh, he's put it into the side netting. And Arsenal have won it back. Saka through to Havertz. Angle tight. He squares it. Nelson can't turn it home. It's come to Erdogan against the bar. It's come back to Ben White, who rifles it goalwards, tipped over the top by Allison. Diaz quick feet, and it's been saved by Ramsdale, who's turned it behind brilliantly. The goalkeeper Alexander Arnold is standing over it to whip it in, and it's gone in. Liverpool have the advantage. And the ball diverted into the back of his own net by Kivior. Luis Diaz to finish it. He does! Into the top corner. It's a famous win for Liverpool in the FA Cup at Arsenal. The good thing about Liverpool is they've got five or six players in that front line. And that's what makes them a real threat in this cup competition, the Carabao Cup and Premier League. Well, it's not been a great festive period for Mikel Arteta and for Arsenal. After uh, losing ground in the title race with a couple of draws, they're now out of the cup and after having lost to Fulham as well, it means it's been quite a, a difficult couple of weeks. They dominated most of the game against Liverpool, actually, and had some great chances. But I suppose the difference between the two is is the fact that they don't have what Ian Wright considered at the beginning of the, uh, of the game, a killer, Kev. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And I think that's been borne out in some of the games. You know, they haven't gone out and got somebody who you would regard as maybe a 2025 goal a season player at centre forward. You've got Gabriel Jesus, who's had lots of injury problems. He does the link play very, very well. He brings a lot to Arsenal's game. Would you rely on him to score in volume? Not necessarily. And so he went with other options. He went with Kai Havertz in this game uh, and that didn't work out. So that does seem, you look at that Arsenal squad, that seems to be the glaring hole in the squad that they don't have that elite centre forward who's going to get you goals. And at the moment, even when they're playing well in games, they're creating lots of chances and not getting rewarded for it. Yeah, um, they chose Havertz to lead the line in the absence of Gabriel Jesus, who picked up a bit of a knee injury in the build-up to the game at Crook. Um, what does that say about Mikel Arteta's thoughts on Eddie Nketiah? Because this was a game that they had to win, really, because of the the, the issues surrounding their league form. Yeah, I mean, it's not particularly uh, <laughs> favourable when it comes to Nketiah, but we do know that Arsenal have rejected the advance of Crystal Palace because they see Nketiah as a key member of the squad, but... You're right, the fact he wasn't used when they were short of a, a striker, I think tells you all you need to know about his long-term future at the football club. And I tell you what, didn't Kai Havertz in particular miss some chances? They were really good Arsenal in the first half of that game. Could have been 
one nil ahead in, inside the first couple of minutes. Brilliant ball from Ramsdale. Actually, I thought Reese Nelson should have taken a shot on earlier. And it... Terrific ball that wasn't it? I mean, it was a really good spot from Ramsdale. I thought. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, again, there was a lot of pressure on him. I think a lot of it created by Mikel Arteta. Maybe you could question, should he have come off his line for the for the key of your own goal? But I think apart from that, he had a pretty good afternoon, Aaron Ramsdale. But Liverpool in the second half, they made a couple of tactical tweaks. They obviously swapped the wide players over. And I felt like they were the better team in that second half, again, without creating loads of chances. But it's not great for Arsenal, having lost back-to-back games in the Premier League, Losing at home to a Liverpool side without Mo Salah, I think, is a really poor look on Mikel Arteta. And it feels like the season is starting to unravel a lot earlier than it did last year. Um, Gunners have got one goal from 6.47 XG over the last three games, which sounds like a lot. But then you remember that uh, Liverpool managed a a seven-goal-plus XG against Newcastle alone and I think it shows the firepower that they've got and the creativity that they've got in comparison to everybody else. Uh, how damaging will this be for Arteta? He, he says there that the season is unravelling a little bit earlier than expected, Kev. Uh, is that is that fair really or, or is it a bit too early to suggest that that's the case? Yeah, I think it is too early because I think they are playing well in, in patches in games. They're creating these chances and they're just not taking them. Kai Havertz, it is not a genuine centre forward. He can play there. He has scored some important goals for them this season. If you look at, I look back at the last few seasons in terms of his finishing, it's pretty much where you'd expect it to be compared to his expected goals, slightly above in some cases. But he is not a volume goal scorer. He's somebody who can link the play, somebody who can bring others in, somebody who's decent in the air. But he's not your option in an elite game as a centre forward necessarily. I, I do. I do think if this continues and they're missing big chances in games, then it's going to have a wearing effect on the squad. I agree with Crookie. I think the David Raya, Aaron Ramsdale thing is bizarre. I think it's been really badly handled. I think it was completely unnecessary. I just don't think it works if you have two top goalkeepers vying for a number one spot. It very rarely works. Uh, and so I think that that's been a misstep. So I, I wouldn't write them off just yet. I think they've done ever so well in the Champions League. Uh, and I think that's been very impressive. But they need to turn it around quickly because otherwise the young squad is going to be very negatively affected, I think. Um, Kev, if you're going to come on here and, and defend Kai Havertz and Timo Werner again, uh, then you're <laughs> going to have to dress for the part. <laughs> You'd be upset if I didn't. You'd be unnerved and upset if I started talking Kev, trash about Werner and Havertz. Literally, the only reason we ask you to come back on the podcast <laughs> is because we need someone to say positive things about Havertz and Timo Werner. Yes. Only joking. Uh, we love you. And uh, listen, I listen. I, I will always, always cherish the moment that Kai Havertz gave to me. Um, as for Liverpool, professional performance uh, from them. Uh, a quick word on Bobby Clark as well, taking one for the team late on. Tactical foul, yellow card, bit of defensive now. It's quite like the look of him. He's, a, he's the son of Lee Clark, the former uh, Newcastle and uh, Sunderland uh, player. Um, Canate, I thought, was very, very good in the game. Probably one of his best performances in, in a, a Liverpool shirt. In fact, Maybe his second best performance in a Liverpool show. His best might be the FA Cup semi-final uh, where he scored against Manchester City. That, I think maybe the FA Cup brings the best out of him. I don't know. Uh, and Jota seems to be scoring goals now. I mean, obviously he didn't score at the weekend, but if you look at his record, since he came back, he had a bit of a barren spell and then he's gone on a very, very good run, actually. 
someone said to me yesterday that they believe, I think it was Tash Dower actually during the during the uh, commentary of Manchester City Huddersfield, he's the best finisher that they've got at this moment in time. And without Salah, he's going to be incredibly important, Crook. Yeah, it was always going to be interesting to see how they would cope with, with such a, a big-name player missing. And obviously, Jurgen Klopp has come out and said there isn't really a like-for-like light light replacement. There maybe isn't a like-for-like light light replacement in world football. So it, it does add a, a little bit of pressure. But I think, as I say, without creating loads of chances, they were fairly clinical, Liverpool, with the ones that did come their way, which is obviously the, the big difference between them and Arsenal. And I think you could see what it meant to Jurgen Klopp at full-time. I think it felt like a, a statement victory without their talisman. And maybe the likes of Diaz and, and Jota and Nunez will now step up and, and fill that void. Yeah. I, and do you know what I love about this podcast? And I was just thinking about this as I looked down at the next item and saw the word Darwin Nunez. I thought, well, we've all got our, <laughs> our players and our, our managers that we love to defend. Crookie loves uh, Rammers. Uh, he's always on the side of, uh, of Rammers when it comes to uh, his Arsenal predicament. He obviously stuck up for uh, the little boy genius for a very long time. When others had spotted there was a few weaknesses there. Uh, Kev always loves anybody who's got any Ger- German parentage. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and Mason Mount can do nothing wrong in my eyes. But we do need Scott Minto, really, don't we, here today, to sort of stick up for Darwin Nunez, who looked effective from the left-hand side, but again missed a, missed a, f- a few chances in that game. But I actually do think, Kevin, I don't know what you think, I... I- quite like his presence. I think he causes problems for other teams by his sheer physical power. There is, there's, he's rough around the edges. There's no doubt about it. And he does almost need sanding down a little bit, but he, he is, he is a problem for other teams. I'll happily stand in for Scott here. I love him. I think he's a brilliant player. I think you're absolutely right. Brilliant. It is. No, I think he is. I think, I think there is enormous potential there because the chaos is right. He he always affects the game. If he if he's on the pitch, he always affects the game. He'll do the most appalling things. You'll think, how is he even on the pitch sometimes? But he's a nightmare to defend because he'll just get up yeah. and he'll go again. And I do think under Jurgen Klopp, he will learn, he will grow. I know that's been a process that's been ongoing for a while. But I wouldn't want to face him if I was a defender. He's strong. He's quick. He does, as you quite rightly say, Sam, he's got that ability to pull out wide. And that causes problems as well because he drags players into areas they don't want to defend in. And so I think if you look at the Benfica time, yes, that's a league where Benfica dominated a lot of games. He was going to get a lot of goals. But I do think he's got that capability to score 20-odd goals in the Premier League at some stage. Yeah, I, I, looking around, we still need someone to uh, come on and be the one who sticks up for Anthony, uh, who has got to zero <laughs> That goals, isn't going to happen. Zero assists. <laughs> we need to find someone. If you'd like to come on and be our Anthony defender, uh, 81089 on the text. Um, right, OK. Uh, let's look at some of the other headlines from the weekend's cup action now as we go around the best of the FA Cup third round. taking a three or four step run up and he hits it right but it sends him the wrong way it's a day of utter jordy jubilation absolutely no hassle for newcastle it has finished sunderland nil newcastle united three maidstone have done it they have held on they've beaten stevenich by a golden ill which is 
some achievement. Across the face of goal, Pedro! That's it! Brighton are in the fourth round for sure now. Stunning through, and it's surely to be tapped in it is. Enzo Fernandez. Back with the Bruyne against the byline, chips it in. Doku, five. Clinical. They have carved them open. 5 0. They've beaten Huddersfield. A very, very bad day for West Ham United. They're not out. They're still in it, but only just. It's finished here at London Stadium. West Ham won. Bristol City won. Luis Diaz to finish it. He does. Into the top corner. It's a famous win for Liverpool in the FA Cup at Arsenal. Let's start with a routine win for Manchester City. Uh, after about half an hour of this game, I was sitting there and I was thinking to myself, wow, I think Huddersfield are doing really well. They started brilliantly. They started playing a little bit like Manchester City for about 90 seconds. Uh, and then it sort of reverted to type and they were defending the edge of their own box. They had a couple of breaks. Zorba Thomas got in behind twice. And I thought, wow, we could have something special happening here. And then after 33 minutes, uh, two quick goals ended anybody's dream. It wasn't quite Golden Lion uh, of the uh, French ninth division against Lille in the French Cup, which finished 12-0 to Lille. Um, and by the way, what a journey that was for them. But it was pretty close to being about as one-sided as you could possibly get. I think the possession stat said something like 85% for Manchester City. Um, the worrying thing for me was just how much they improved once Kevin De Bruyne came on. They were doing fine without him. And then he came on and they just went to the next level. And I just thought, oh dear. Kev? Yeah. It's the, the same as Liverpool fan? Yeah, it, it's it's the fact that he just has that innate ability to to pick a pass that you, you wouldn't even see coming. And he it's the fact he's got that Pep Guardiola's talked about. It's going to take him a while. He might find, not find his rhythm. We're not expecting his level. But he's just got it innately within him. And I, and I think it's not going to take him long. Phil Foden's been filling in in that 10 role superbly. Julian Alvarez has done brilliantly at centre forward without Haaland. They look really dangerous to me. I know that they've been a bit wobbly in a fair few games this season, but they've got players coming back from injury. They've got so many options in so many positions. I think the only thing that would really upset them is if Rodri was injured in the long term. I think that's the only thing that would really upset them. I think we're in for a hell of a title race. I think Liverpool have done brilliantly to rebuild as quickly as they have. We'll see what happens to Arsenal. But I think Manchester City, to me, look like they're doing it again. They're just hitting that top couple of gears just when they need to. Yeah, I mean, it almost took him a, a, a little while to, to get into it. In fact, if it hadn't have been for a little deflection, Oscar Bob's cross-come shot would have fallen to him and he would have scored with his first touch, Kevin De Bruyne. And that would have been a, a real surprise, wouldn't it? Um, he um, and Phil Foden, though, have a bit of an issue in that they both want to play in a very similar position. How are they going to get them both in the team? Well, it's quite a nice headache to have if, if you're Pep Guardiola and you're competing on multiple fronts in the second half of the season. Uh, but you're right, when De Bruyne was fit, as they were going for the treble last season, Foden quite often was the odd man out. I, I do think he's raised his game, maybe as a result of the fact he's had that void to fill. So it's going to be an interesting quandary. Should we talk about De Bruyne's hair, by the way? Um, you know, that's been the big change since he went away. It reminds me of when you were going through like your sort it. of ageing rock star phase and everyone told you you, you look ridiculous and in the end you had to have a trim. He, I think he's been uh, he's been modelling himself me, on me. you. Excuse me, a couple of, couple of high-profile uh, sports presenters have come up to me since and said, 
I like the aging rock star look. You know, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> the, There's a few of them that quite like the old it. boss at Talk Sport like wasn't it. as keen, was he? From what I remember. No, I know, but you know, he's you know he's got a, he's got a certain style, and it isn't aging rock star. Um, uh, Kevin De Bruyne actually did look like a bit of a rock star because when he came out to warm up for the first time, he got a reception akin to the kind of sort of noise that would be generated at a public appearance for Harry Styles. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. And it's a bit, it sort of takes you aback a little bit. I remember watching Match of the Day last week when I think he, he, he warmed up on the sidelines and uh, it, they, they made a big fuss about it. And I thought, really? Was it that good? And then I sat there in the stadium and I thought, wow, this is ludicrous. This is, it is amazing that they, they absolutely adore him. And that's a Harry Styles reference. Um, but they, uh, the, the, the noise was next level. It really was. And you know, fair play. Listen, if you've got a player like that, you should cherish him. That is for sure. Uh, be interesting to see what happens to them over the next couple of weeks. They've got Newcastle United on Saturday evening, haven't they, away from home? Um, so that should be fun uh, for Newcastle, who we'll get to in just a second. In fact, let's do that now. Uh, they beat Sunderland uh, by three goals. You know, I was at this game, and the atmosphere was terrific. You know, the whole build-up to it was brilliant. You know, the 12 hours before being in Sunderland, experiencing the whole thing was was next level, really. And And then the game started. And to be honest, I thought for the first 20 minutes, it was quite good. We had a bit of fun. There was There was tackles flying in. And Newcastle just did not wilt. They would not yield. They were very mature, I thought, Kev. Yeah, the press was very good. Um, you made the point in commentary a few times, Sam, and I, I think you're absolutely right about Almiron. Uh, he's so dangerous without the ball, actually, with the pressure that he puts on. Uh, goals at key times as well. That goal, that second goal, absolutely critical. And it's just naive errors. And, you know... That's understandable. You know, Michael Beale talked about the gap between the two teams afterwards. He's absolutely right. And that gap was there for all to see. You need to be at your maximum against a team like that and hope they get below their level. And that just didn't happen. Isaac, I'm a big, big fan of. I think we all are really on this podcast. Uh, he remains a really, really exciting and important player for them. I think he's getting better all the time. And there's real passion from him as well. Uh, You know, we talk about his technical ability. We talk about what he can do with the football. But there's a real fire in him that that I've always really liked. And, you know, when he was a younger player, he admits it got him into trouble at times because he was a bit lippy at times. But I think there's a super player in there. It was a really important win for Newcastle, given the fact they've had a really awful injury crisis and a bad run of form. Uh, what's the best thing about Alexander Isaac? Um, it's when he opens his mouth and you realise he sounds like he's from South London rather than from Sweden. <laughs> it's quite amazing. His English accent is unbelievable. I don't know if it's got a little bit of Geordie twang now, but he, he's certainly <laughs> got an um, like his ability to speak English is next level. And he does sound like he does sound like he's he, he is one of the lads from South London. It's it's very strange. You should there's a couple of clips that have done the rounds on YouTube and you're like, what really? Is that him? It is. So I thought I thought someone had put an AI voice over him at one stage. Uh, disappointment for Sunderland then. And disappointment, Crook, for West Ham, Forest and Luton. Uh, Luton have ruined everybody's life, right? Because by drawing with Bolton Wanderers, it means that their Premier League game, which was supposed to be on Monday, which we were all going to, and we had a big outside broadcast plan, now has been shifted to Friday night. 
cheers, boys. Um, so uh, we've now got to change all our plans. We've had to go to, we're going to Burnley on Friday night for the Burnley versus Luton. I think it's a really important game. It's a good game. But the fact that we've got to, we've got there and then we've got to get to Chelsea by nine o'clock next morning, not ideal. So we're blaming Luton for that, right? Um, but it's um, it's a disappointment, I think, for all three of those teams to ha- have their winter breaks disrupted by replays they should really have avoided. You can get a lift back on the Luton team coach. Rob Edwards is well disposed to talk sport. I'm sure okay. that uh, I'm sure he'll give you a I'll lift. I'll do that. Um, yeah I mean the the question in the running order is which one of these teams could do without the replay the most and you'd probably go for for the two teams who are sort of entrenched in the relegation battle in in Luton and Forest I was surprised that West Ham didn't get the job done against Bristol City I thought David Moyes named a strong enough team to win that game and especially having taken such an early lead he'll be frustrated but actually speaking to a couple of Premier League managers over the weekend, Thomas Frank came out straight after their game and said replay should be scrapped. You know, the calendar in 2024 doesn't lend itself to replays. I'm torn on that, you know, because I'm a traditionalist and I think for the smaller clubs, Bolton will relish the opportunity to get Luton back to their stadium. Um, I think Eastley of the non-league got a replay as well with 10 men. And again, that's a good little money spinner for them. So I think when managers come out and make that kind of statement, they are disrespecting the tradition of the FA Cup and it is unlike any other domestic cup in world football. I think they need to be aware of that. They are thinking about themselves. That's as simple as that. They're not thinking about the FA Cup. They're not having a discussion about its merits or whatever. And if you took them out of that particular situation and didn't ask them the question in the post-match scenario, maybe they'd think about the overarching thing of it. But the truth is is that they will scrap the replays from the FA Cup. They, that will happen. It will probably happen in twenty. 20- 26, um, when all of the new deals are signed. Um, I think they'll keep them for a couple of years. But, you know, eventually the pressure will grow on the calendar to the point where they do remove them. When they do remove them, and I'm sure it's inevitable now, I think what they should do is wait the draw so that when you get into the third round, they may keep them for first and second, by the way, uh, but when you get into the third round, I think you should rank the teams from 1 to 64 uh, and you should... Make sure that if you're at the bottom, the bottom half, every one of those teams gets a home draw or gets the opportunity to choose whether they want a home draw or an away draw, depending on what happens when they are drawn against a team higher ranked. It means that the draw is weighted and that the higher ranked teams will get a lower ranked team, but it also means that the table will be tipped in the fact that the that the, that the lower ranked team will have the choice of who uh, plays where, which I think is important. Um, but I, I listen... The key thing is to preserve some semblance of tradition in this FA Cup when they eventually do restructure it, Kev. Yeah, and I think exactly what you've just said is very similar to what happens in Germany, uh, mentioning Germany yet again. Um, But that's the way they do it in the sense that in that first round, you have all the Bundesliga teams in and they are all away from home. They have to be away from home unless, as you say, there's some reason why the home team can't play at home. But generally, you'll get like an eighth-tier team taking on Bayer Leverkusen or something like that. And and sometimes Brilliant. you do get like eight or nine nil hammerings, but they absolutely love it because the other jeopardy for those clubs is that they have to win their regional cup just to be in the first round of the DFB Pokal, the German Cup. So you might have a team that hasn't been in the first round for 30 years and suddenly they face Bayern. So you do get some incredible ties in that first round. So I agree with you. And, I, I would do that. And didn't Bayern go out to a 
like a third or fourth tier side yeah. earlier in the season, if I remember right. Absolutely. They went out to Zabhuken, uh, who were a third tier team. And Zabhuken as a fourth tier team a few years ago got to the quarterfinals. So you do get real shocks in the German Cup. And I think having those Premier League teams away from home in the third round would be a great start. Oh, how Germany. Uh, I'm so pleased that you're here today <laughs> for just this explanation. Um, uh, Chelsea 4, Preston nil comfortably into the fourth round. Chelsea, uh, Raheem Sterling's free kick was superb. Um, I, I did take a little while for them to get cooking, though, didn't it? I mean, the first half was a difficult watch for Chelsea. Yeah, they're such a confidence team, aren't they? Because once they did score the first goal, they absolutely dominated from that point onwards. And I guess you're going to get that um, with a group of young players. I think it was important for Armando Breuer to get himself on the score sheet again. And I think they do look a better team with him as that focal point because he is he is a natural number nine. He's an old school number nine in many ways, a bit of a throwback. So interesting to see how they use him in the second half of the season because I think there are other Premier League teams who would take him if Chelsea were to decide to cash in. But this, this is an important trophy for Chelsea, given that their miles adrift in the Premier League. And it was the start of an important week as well, because I think that League Cup semi-final is going to be really important for Mauricio Pochettino as well. So good to get the week off to a positive start from their perspective. Look, after what has been a very difficult first half of the season, a very difficult couple of years for Chelsea, actually, you know, the idea of being in a Carabao Cup semi-final, if they can get to the final here, which they Let's be honest, they should get to the final. They're taking on a championship side. So the law of averages to suggest that they should get to. They may not. I'm not taking Middlesbrough for granted in any way, shape or form. But they should get to a final. If they can get deep into the FA Cup as well, it can create a feel-good factor around the club. I don't know if you noticed this, but the atmosphere for the uh, League Cup game against Newcastle and the game against Preston at Stamford Bridge was absolutely terrific. It was almost like an old-school Champions League night. I think the fans have realised that those games are the big games this season, getting through in the rounds of the Cups and trying to attack for silverware. And I think they've, they've really embraced it, and that can bring a little bit more of that sort of upbeat message around the club to the fore. Yeah, I agree with that 100%, because this is a young team by design. You know, they've obviously brought these young talents together. What's the best and quickest way of gelling a young unit like that is to win something together. You know, you see that time and time again in football history. You win that first trophy as a team. It really bonds them together. So if they were to win the League Cup or were to go deep into the FA Cup, that could be hugely, hugely important for them. Of course, as well, it's a route back into Europe because at the moment with the league form, the way that it is or the league position, the way that it is, that's by no means guaranteed. So, yeah, I do think these cup games are hugely important considering what Chelsea are trying to do. Um, uh, Kevin, I think you may be ignoring the fact that they've already won a trophy this season. They won the International Champions Cup on of the course. Tour of America of course. in the summer. <laughs> okay, all right. Don't forget that. And you uh, can Maidstone see that flowing through it. their veins, can't you? You know, that, yeah. that, when yeah. they hark back to that. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Um, Maidstone won Stevenage nil. Uh, final word on the weekend's action. A National League side, um, South, National League South side Maidstone, managed by... Wolverhampton Wanderers alumni, George Ella Kobe. Um, the only classic FA Cup shot, I think, of the weekend, really, beating League One Stevenage. Fingers crossed for a big draw for them on Monday night. Penalty taken really well. Um, I, I, I don't know this, but I looked at it on Saturday night when I was watching the highlights. And well done to James Fielden, who works a lot for uh, Talk Sport. 
who led match of the day on Saturday night. And that must have been a really proud moment for him. So well done. Um, but um, is it a plastic pitch at Maidstone? I think it is, isn't it? It looks like a plastic pitch to me. Um, and uh, whoever, I mean, it may be a big, big Premier League side could be heading down to Kent uh, to play at Maidstone. Maidstone got into the league when I was a kid uh, and they played their league games at Dartford's Watling Street, which was just up the road from where I grew up. Um, because they didn't have a sufficient ground. But now they play their their, their, their games in their own stadium. So uh, good luck uh, to them. Okay, let's round things off by having a look at the January transfer window. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustoleum. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Guess who's back? Yes, Timo Werner is on the march. Uh, Tottenham, just give us a thumbs up here, Crook. Uh, do, do we think that Timo Werner and Spurs, uh, the marriage made in heaven, is about to happen? Is that a yes? So yes, yeah, I think that will go through. Okay, Kev. In which case, uh, we didn't expect it, but Timo is coming back, uh, and he's coming back to Spurs. Can you fill us in on what he's been up to since leaving Chelsea, and what we are expecting to see from him when he turns up at White Hart Lane? He's the kind of player to me that I think is going to thrive under Ange Postecoglou. I agree with you, but he is a fixer-upper. There's no doubt about that. If you look at his second spell at Leipzig, it's been hit and miss. I think missing the World Cup with injury really hurt him. I think that was a real blow for him. And I think that he hasn't quite recovered his form. He's been a victim of circumstance in the sense that Leipzig in the summer brought in Louis Openda from Lens, who scored a bucket load of goals and has been nailed on as one of their starting strikers. And I think recently what's happened is Leipzig have got a little bit twitchy because they've realised that Benjamin Sheshko isn't playing enough games. And because he's not playing enough games, Premier League clubs, other clubs are looking at him and thinking, oh, well, hang on, could we make a little move for him in January if he's not happy about not starting games? So Marco Rosa, the coach, has talked a lot about, yeah, we want to build up Benjamin, we want to get him playing. So there's just no room at the inn for him. 
And so I think there's a feeling that Leipzig don't count on him. They see him as somebody they could loan out, build up his value. Maybe if he comes back in good shape, they could use him. But at the moment, he's nowhere near being first name on the team sheet. That doesn't mean he doesn't have that quality that Postacoglu could get the best out of. But it would be a lie to say that Spurs are picking up a player who's in top shape and top form because it's just not true. So this is a desperation move. It's a cheap move, I take it, as well, Crook. Uh, well, it's it's a loan until the end of the season. I think there is a, an option in the deal of around about £15 million. It's interesting. I thought Kev might be a little bit more positive about one of his favourites than that. I, I'm with you, Sam. I think it's a much better move for Tottenham than it would be for Manchester United at this moment in time. United, I know, have held exploratory talks uh, with Leipzig, but I'm not sure that that was ever really on. And I think Tottenham are a club that will give Werner the better opportunity to shine. He's versatile. He's obviously full of energy, which Postacoglu will buy into. He can lead the press. He can be a replacement for Son while he's away at the Asia Cup. He can play as a number nine if needed. And I think he'll come back to England with a bit of a point to prove. So I think this could be a very good piece of January business. Yeah, absolutely. And and do you know what I will say about uh, Timo Werner? Is if you've ever met Timo Werner or ever done an interview with Timo Werner, he is one of the nicest blokes in football. He's a really humble, down-to-earth guy. And he wants to do do well. Uh, And do you know what? I really hope that he does, in a way. Um, Elsewhere, and of course, this this is a bit of a Kev section, really. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Eric Dyer could be heading the other way from Spurs to Germany. Ange Postecoglou more or less said he was, uh, he's, he's not in his plans. Uh, why are Bayern interested in him, Kev? Is, is there a gap there that needs to be filled? Yeah, I think what they want is a flexible player. You could play a few different positions. So they would like somebody that could play centre-back, that could at a push play as a defensive midfielder, maybe. that They're looking for, for a kind of one-size-fits-all approach at the moment to get them through until the end of this season. Because what's been quite interesting is that Thomas Tuchel's changed the language and changed the tone recently about transfers. Because what he wanted was Joao Palhinha in the summer. We know how close that was to happening, but they couldn't quite get it over the line because they left it too late. Fulham couldn't find a replacement. I think Palhinha was hoping that Bayern would go back in for him. That may still happen, but Tuchel's been very distant about that. And Tuchel's been very, okay. well, you know, we just need solutions for now. And I think the feeling is that Bayern believe it's going to be too expensive to get Palhinha in this window. And so Dyer could come in and fill a few gaps. My only concern about that is that one of the reasons that he's not playing for Ange Postacoglu is that he can't deal with a high line because he's not the quickest. Well, Bayern play with an incredibly high line and they ask Minje Kim, Dio Pamikano, Matthias De Ligt to do a hell of a lot of recovery running to get back in position because a lot of the time they'll push the fullbacks high. So I, 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 that's the only reason why I think it's not the best fit but considering Bayern were, were toying with the idea of bringing back Jerome Boateng to fans' dismay a few wow. months ago, you know, they're quite He's happy to, to do a short-term deal. Yeah, I mean, it's, the other thing as well is that he's had off-the-field problems, which Bayern fans were not happy about the uh, uh, about the, the pos- prospect of him coming back. So, look, I, I think it makes sense as a short-term deal. I'll be very interested to see how he does considering how Tuchel operates his defence. Just one very quick one on Werner, by the way. 
I do want him desperately to do well and think he could. I think all the potential's there. Do, do you want that the on the moment, record, Kev? Is it, do you want that yes, on the record? Yes, please. After, after, uh, after slating him, you want that on the record? Slating the Timo of now. The Timo <laughs> under Ange in a couple of months could be a totally different story. Um, I, I do feel like we're a little bit sort of uh, do, doing, uh, is this not the transfer window from 1997 or something? No, no, 2017. <laughs> uh, because uh, uh, Jaden Sancho is heading back to Dortmund. I've heard that one before. Um, what's the reaction to Germany been like in that to that deal, Kevin? Because let's be clear, he, he did such a good job at Dortmund the first time around. I'm sure that there are some people that still hanker after him. However, his spell in England has been nothing short of underwhelming. And yes, he's ended in a row with the manager. But actually, even prior to his, his, his fallout with Eric Ten Hag, his spell back at, in the Premier League has been poor. Yeah, it has. There's, there's no getting away from that. And I think he has to carry the can for a fair, a fair share of that. I think he joined a club in flux that wasn't set up for him to do well, but he has to hold his hands up and he's made big mistakes too. I think in terms of the reaction in Germany, it's been quite interesting, I think, because you would think that it would be plastered everywhere. It is a big story, but I think it's kind of detached curiosity in general. How is he going to do? What shape is he in? And even with the Dortmund press, it hasn't been dominating the headlines because there have been a couple of big coaching moves um, at Dortmund. There's been a lot of speculation about their head coach, Edin Terzic. They've brought back a few yes, they a couple back of old older players. players, haven't they, to be his assistant? Yeah. So Nuri Shaheen, who was doing well with uh, Antalya Spore in Turkey as the head coach, he's come in as an assistant. Sven Bender, who was a brilliant player for them and a real leader, um, nicknamed Iron Man when he was there, he's come back and he's going to try and sort out the defensive side of things. So that's been taking up a lot of their, their column inches, really, in Germany and specifically in Dortmund. I think when it does happen... There'll be excitement, no doubt, but I think there's an awareness that they're going to have to be patient because they're not going to get the Jaden Sancho initially that scored bucket loads of goals and got loads of assists in Germany. There's real respect for him as a player, but I think there's an awareness as well that he's joining a Dortmund team that's a bit up and down. So, I re- again, just as with Werner, I really desperately want this to work for him. He's one of my favourite players. I've never made any secret of that. But I'm I'm sad for him the way this has turned out, and I really hope this is the start of something special for him. And I'm sure that Nuri Shahim will not be the head coach by the time we get to February. Sure of it. <laughs> um, yes, that, that's um, the running Arsenal... joke at the moment in Germany. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, I'm pleased I fit in over there. Yeah, um, very good. Uh, Arsenal. <laughs> Arsenal. Uh, after anyone crookie after their little stutter, will they look to sort of solve their problems in the? the transfer window by splashing a little bit of cash. Very difficult to do that with a sort of effective, in an effective way in January. You you need to have a, a sort of more considered plan, I think. Yeah, and I think Mikel Arteta has stressed that every time he's asked, particularly, are you going to bring in a number nine? He gives the same answer. He gave it to you a few weeks ago. He's given it to me. He gave it again to Carrie Brown, our television colleague at the weekend, and said, we need to put our faith in the players that are here. So I don't see a big money centre forward. I think a deal for someone like Ivan Tony or Ossiman, now he's signed that new contract, is simply too expensive in a January transfer window. And this is a club who've invested a lot over the last few windows. So they're going to have to be as aware 
as anybody about the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. We know that they're looking to, to bring in a left-back. They've been linked with Hato, the youngster at Ajax. But again, I think that's probably one for the summer. I keep coming back to Amadou Inanna at Everton as somebody who I think Mikel Arteta is a, a big admirer of. We know that Everton have got some financial issues. So I do think something might happen there between now and the end of the window. But they're going to have to be creative, I think, with the players they've already got. Emil Smith-Rowe came on only for a, what, a few minutes to near the end of the game on Sunday. I think he's someone yeah. that a lot of Premier League clubs would be interested in and maybe Arsenal could cash in on him. El Nenny, I think, could be another who could depart. There are teams in Turkey and Saudi looking at him. And then there's Thomas Partey, who simply is never fit. I think if Arsenal did get an offer from Saudi Arabia, they'd be willing to sell him. So I think they're going to have to get players out before they can necessarily strengthen. OK, quick uh, round-up of some other uh, stories. Give us a sentence on Danny Ings. Well, Danny Ings is on massive money at West Ham, and that's a problem for the, the type of team that would like to sign him. I know that he's on Wolves' potential list of targets, but I think West Ham, if he was to go out on loan, are going to have to pay quite a fair percentage of his wages. But I do think he's someone who could move to one of those teams fighting against relegation between now and the end of the window. And Calvin Phillips, he won't be on that much money at Manchester City, so I'm sure someone can afford his wages. Well, he didn't feature, did he, in the FA Cup at the weekend? I think that's quite telling. I think normally he would he get was minutes Ill. under his belt. But... Don't, 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 mm. don't you dare question the integrity of the manager. <laughs> that, was, that was illness. I think if you're a club looking to sign Calvin Phillips and you're still in the FA Cup, you'll be quite pleased that he isn't cup-tied. So who would that be, possibly? Well, Newcastle are still at the table. Newcastle is still there. But again, I think financially, as we mentioned last week, the loan fee, the yeah, obligation to buy Newcastle, is a problem. They'll get it done. They'll get it done. They'll get it done somehow, some way. They'll get it done. They're just bartering. It's called negotiations. That's what it is. It's all about negotiations, isn't it? Manchester City don't want him on their books. They don't. He's costing them a lot of money in wages every single week. He never kicks a football. They want him off the books. So actually, do you know what? They're not, they're not competing with... They were never competing with, with Newcastle anyway, right? So... Then, there's no way in this earth that it's going to be a, a massive problem for them to give him to to to, uh, to Newcastle. Any deal that happens is beneficial for Manchester City. If he goes there and they pay 1% of his wages, he's playing football, therefore maintaining or increasing his value if he has a great spell, and they've taken 1% less off of the, the, the Manchester City wage bill. They will come to a deal at some point, but they are waiting to see if somebody else will pay more for him or less for whatever. Who else is at the table? Something will happen with him. There's no doubt about it. I think it will end up at, at Newcastle. It's just about negotiations. Keeping him is not an option for anybody. It doesn't work for him. It doesn't work for Manchester City. And I think in the end, they'll come to an, a, an arrangement. Uh, maybe I am. Maybe I'm a little bit too idealistic, but I think that'll be sorted by the end of January. Uh, FA Cup third round continues on TalkSport. Tonight we're doing that. I mean, this podcast may well have gone out after the conclusion of that game. And it's good news because Crookie wouldn't have turned up had Manchester United gone out uh, to Wigan. Uh, Middlesbrough-Chelsea Carabao Cup semi-final is Tuesday night. That's live on TalkSport. Wednesday night, Liverpool-Fulham is also on TalkSport. And Friday night, Burnley against Luton now live on TalkSport. Saturday morning, we've got Chelsea against Fulham. So a lot to look forward to over the course of the next week. We've had a really busy time 
over the course of the last week. And then the following week, there'll be loads of FA Cup replays as well. So there's lots to get our teeth into as January continues. Uh, uh, lovely to see you, Kev, as well. Uh, we look forward to seeing the progress of uh, Timo and Havertz reunited in North London. This is great. Uh, we'll see what happens there. And, of course, uh, we'll be back in uh, on Thursday to uh, have a look at all the weekend's Premier League action. We'll join you then. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.